0: Hey, it's Chris here. Can I ask a quick favor of you? If you've picked up a copy of my book, Rise of the Youpreneur, and you can spare 60 seconds to drop a quick review up on Amazon, it would mean the world to me. I read every single one of them and they simply brighten my day every day. Plus, if you send me a copy of the review, you can just post it up on social and tag me at Ducker, or email me directly, chris at chrisducker.com. I'll send you a free gift that I know you're going to love, and it's super useful as well, just as a way to say thank you for doing so. And if you've not got a copy of the book yet, what are you waiting for? Head over to youpner.com right now to grab your copy. Thanks for listening to this short message, and let's get started with this week's episode. Well, hello there and welcome to episode number 305 of Upener FM. I am your host, Chris Ducker. As always, a pleasure to have you inserting me into your day. Thank you very much for being with me. You're in the right spot, my friend, if you are an entrepreneur that wants to build a business based around you, your personality, your experience, and the people that you want to call customers. Yes, the people you want to serve and help. Great show lined up. Jessica Lorimer is in the house this week, and we're really deep diving on the subject of sales, right? It's been a while since we've touched base on this very important subject. And you know what? At the end of the day, regardless of whether you actually identify with being a salesperson or not, if you're an entrepreneur, You are. You're selling something. And we're going to learn how to not only make more sales, but why we struggle a lot of the time to actually get that to happen. Before we get into that conversation, however, uh, my usual weekly reminder at this particular moment in time, Upener Summit. Dot com. Have you visited the website? Have you seen the keynote speakers that we've got coming in from all over the world? Have you looked at the power session speakers? Have you checked out the schedule for our big annual conference which is taken place november three to five this year in london my hometown if you haven't already please go ahead right now youpreneursummit.com go check it out tickets are still available but they are dripping away and i would hate for you to miss out if you were planning to come along uh because you left it too late to book your slot so youpreneursummit.com go get it in ya. All right, so onto my chat with Jessica. Like I said, look, she's a sales pro. I'm a sales pro. We're both pretty much from the same school of the way that we think about selling and serving and providing solutions to problems and all that sort of stuff. Um, But the fact of the matter is that almost every business owner that I come across today, in some way, shape, or form, moans about the fact that they're not making more sales, right? If you want to make more money, You've got to make more sales. If you want to get, you know, ultimately, if you want to get better, you've got to be better, right, at what you're doing. And sales is such an important part of the business growth strategy that we're all chasing down. Let's face it, regardless of what industries you're in. So, Jessica and I sit down, we break down the process of sales, we talk about the importance of the close, however, we also talk about why so many people kind of just obsess over it and how that's a bad thing, and lots of other great stuff as well. not going to hold you up, you're going to need your notebooks. Here we go. So Jessica, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, I'm so excited to be here.
0: Equally excited as well, not only to be joined by your good self, but also, and here's the bonus, a fellow Brit, and we can never... I know. We can never take that for granted, ever.
1: (laughs) I know. I was going to say that. It's so unusual to meet a fellow Brit in the online space.
0: Well, I mean, I think we're growing. I mean, if the listenership of this show has anything to do with 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 it definitely the uk market for me has grown a lot in the last 18 months to two years or so um i think it's by no coincidence at all it's because i'm getting more active back in the uk obviously and so i think that sort of just is a natural byproduct to that but there's certainly you know podcasting particularly certainly more and more people getting into the space and it's great it's good to see it isn't it
1: a hundred percent and i think you know it's Obviously, down to you being more active in the UK market, but also those jazzy waistcoats that you've been bringing to UConn. Yes, I yes. Think, I think they're having something to do with it. I think. And I think... <laughs>
0: <laughs> jazzy, you can you can never go wrong with a jazzy waistcoat. Never.
1: You can't, or a jazzy tie. I feel very jealous that I don't have that many. <laughs> I think oh. it's interesting, though. The UK market really is growing, and it's it's really, really good to watch. I think it's it's good to watch because it means that there are lots more events coming up mm. that are going to help more people set up small businesses. But also, it's good because there's lots of networking now. Whereas yes. previously, if you were in the UK setting up an online business, you looked a little bit weird. You know, people gave you that odd-looking coffee shop. So it's kind of, do you just have no friends? Or you know, are you actually here for a reason? So that's yes. it's quite nice. We're actually open to it now.
0: No, I agree hundred percent I think it's it's going to mean that the market in the UK for entrepreneurs particularly uh, will grow very quickly now because of you know events like the Up summit and you know our, our mutual friend Janet Murray running her events and a few other bits and pieces that are going on as well I think we're ready you know we're, the UK is ripe that's the way I'm looking at it right now so it's good to be um, you know one of the pioneers pushing it all forward as you are as well I know so let's get into your story then we so I, don't want, I don't want to talk too much on backgrounds or anything like that. This show is all about hardcore, strategic, tactical takeaways. But, I mean, you've had a pretty impressive career thus far. Give us the the two-minute biography um, or autobiography, rather, of, of Jessica Lorimer and, and what you're all about. And then we can deep dive into some really, really solid stuff.
1: Yeah, perfect. So basically, both my parents were army parents. Um, yes. And both of them advised at a very early age that the army was not going to be for me because I didn't take uh, constructive criticism well. And um, I don't really like rules that much. So both mm. of them advised that I should find a different career. <laughs> yes. And when I was about 16, I fell into sales. I started working for a jewelry company. And I loved it. I really, really loved it because it meant that I got to talk to people all day long. And there is one thing that I love in life, and that is talking to people. I'm very, very nosy, very inquisitive. I like getting to know why people do what they do. Right. Um, and jewelry sales gave me the ability to do that. You know, I'd be selling engagement rings, and people come back for wedding rings, and then they come back for a first anniversary present, all this kind of thing. And I loved it. And I continued doing that. And about the age of eighteen, they sent me away to America, and they said, okay. You know, you've you've done well with sales in the UK. Go over to America and see if you can help our underperforming stores out there in different brands and push them up the sales rankings. So I went and I did that because, hey, I was 18. It was a free summer in America. There was no way I was going to say no. I'm curious.
0: Whereabouts did you go in the States?
1: I went to New York.
0: Okay, All right, that would have been my first guess as well with that game. That would have definitely been my first guess. So, I mean, what was it like, 18 year old from England in New York, and not just like hanging out in New York, but working there? I mean, what what was that experience like?
1: I felt like Carrie Bradshaw. You know, I, I just,
0: Were you <laughs> I walking went, down the street in slow motion everywhere you went with your friends?
1: Exactly. exactly hoping that my life had a soundtrack to it. You know. <laughs> it was one of those moments where it was amazing. You know, suddenly I was surrounded. Um, for those of you who don't know the UK jewellery market, which is probably most people, you know, you are kind of given chain stores. And so every single store basically sells similar things at similar price points. And suddenly, I was in a market where um, luxury jewellery was actually a thing. You know, and I was mm-hmm. walking past Tiffany's and Cartier, and those were my competitors instead of stores that were selling sort of like twenty pound earrings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a huge, huge difference. And you know, I was very, very fortunate in that the company I worked for were really supportive. And you know, I went into New York, I turned around three different stores. And when I came home, um, you know, to the UK weather, I was kind of like, oh, that was great. And they said, you know, would you like to do it again? And I was like, yeah, that'd be fantastic. So they sent me to some other places and I ended up uh, turning around about eight different stores in two years, which is quite a lot um, for any one person to do. And I was obviously going to university as well and and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And had I not been headhunted by a large recruitment firm, in all honesty, I'd probably still be working in jewellery somewhere. I'd be that kind of geeky watchmaker, hanging out, making luxury watches um, in Switzerland. Right. But I got headhunted by a large recruitment firm in uh, my final year of university. And they sold me the dream, uh, not unlike Facebook ads, I'd like to point out. Um, they were kind of like, look, we're going to pay you £24,000 a year, and... Um, And you can live in central London and with all the commission that you will be making, you'll just be a millionaire in about two or three years. And actually in recruitment, that dream is not unreasonable. If you work really hard, Mm -hmm. um, show up and you get to know your clients, you build good relationships. Actually, it's not that unreasonable. The bit that they don't mention is the kind of five years or however long that it takes to build up that kind of reputation the late night drinking, the, you know, kind of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night club. Um, and the fact that you have to basically give up seeing all of your friends and family for about two years, just to kind of make sure that you're at the office at 7am and leaving by 9pm. So that didn't always suit my lifestyle. And in December, 2014, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness. So I was diagnosed with ME. Um, and the doctor said, look, it's it's your health or it's your job and mm-hmm. at that point i'd been consulting for about three years i had been working for some of the key luxury fashion brands in the world i've been traveling to new york to tokyo to mumbai to a whole host of different places going around building up sales divisions building up teams um living out of hotels and i just thought i just can't do it anymore
0: yeah yeah enough's enough kind of thing
1: yeah 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 hundred it was just it was too much <clears throat> um And my body was in a complete state of, I just need to hibernate for about six months. Mm -hmm. And so I went into work because I I loved what I did. Really, really loved what I did. Um, And my boss just said, look, there's no room for somebody who's part time. And it was a really honest answer from them. They were just like, look, we we need you to be able to travel around. If you're not going to be able to do that, you're not going to be able to be fit for work. Um, I was a top 20 performer in, the, in a company of more than 5,000 people. I was doing all of this stuff. I was making, you know, almost a million pounds a year for a company. And I learned very quickly that everyone is replaceable.
0: Yes, you know? absolutely. And that's done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember when, when I got into my sales um, career, I was only a couple of years older than you. I was 18, well, actually 17 part-time. Yeah. Um, but. I remember my dad telling me very clearly um that, you know, if you if you're good at sales, you'll always be able to get a job. Because every company selling something, right? A product, a service experience, whatever it is, is a but make no mistake, you're never replaceable unless you're the one hiring the people to work for you. And I'll never forget that. And I think it was good enough for me to know that this was the career path I wanted to go on at that point, but I also think that looking back on it now retrospectively that it was clear that he instilled that entrepreneurial kind of mindset and he wasn't an entrepreneur he was a very successful architect in the city but he wasn't an entrepreneur but he'd been around enough obviously to know that ultimately <laughs> the bosses are the ones that make all the real money and they're the ones with real job satisfaction and and you know it's it's t- it's tough right it's it's a tough it's a tough world to be in when you're an employee and You know, every other cliche under the book, you know, in in the book, you're only as good as your last sale and all that kind of fun stuff. You know, it's true, though. It is. It's true.
1: It is. And I think you get to a point where you you realize that actually job security is not what it was. Mm. You know, I worked out in Tokyo for a few years and I was amazed because out there uh, contract employment is actually or was actually at that time illegal. You couldn't get a contractor job because they didn't believe in contracting. They mm-hmm. didn't believe in temporary employment. And people were working in jobs that their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers had worked in before them. And so it was this very um, interesting style of employment, you, know, you basically took over from your dad when he left, and, and that was it, and then your son or your daughter would take over from you. Whereas in the UK and, and certainly in the US, it's much more transient now. People, you know, will, will go where the money is. And I remember not being massively loyal to any one company and in fact <laughs> right. looking for the next paycheck, right? You've, you've got to be honest about it. When you're in the corporate world, you, you look for things like who can I work less hours for but make more money. And I absolutely 100% did that. It wasn't until I set up a business that I realized – just how much of a disservice I'd probably done myself and probably most of my employers, um, while I was, while I was working, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have that faith in myself that I could make something work. Mm. Um, and certainly not that I could pay all of my bills and certainly not that I could do it on the scale that I've been able to, you know, And, Mm. and that for me was a really big shock because typically in the UK you are kind of told, go, go to university or, you know, go and get an education, Get a job. And, I think that's and-
0: changing, though, don't you? Do, do you think that that mindset's changing? I mean, I, I certainly feel like that talking to particularly parents that I know in the yeah. UK now, not even in the UK, actually, US and, and everywhere else. I mean, it, I think university as a whole doesn't have as much pull um, as it did 10 20, 50 years ago, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think unless you want to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something, and you've got to have that bloody diploma on the wall, then, you know, fair comment, go for it. But I think ultimately, if you if you feel like you're going to have an entrepreneurial type of um, lifestyle, I guess, and I, I don't know, I mean, look, my daughter's th- two thirds of the way through her degree right now. And, you know, she consistently says to me, Dad, you know what? I hate to say this because you're paying for it, but I kind of learned more reading your book so far and I'm like well that's epic that's really good to know <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And, and, and I mean she's actually working for me now she ma- she manages a lot of my social media now part-time but when she's done she wants to come work with me because she doesn't feel like she wants to go work for somebody else she can learn more with me and hopefully be involved with, with which is probably what's going to become a, a bit of a family business hopefully so yeah it's strange isn't it it's very very weird the way things develop.
1: I think we've been through a triple dip recession. You know, a lot of the world has seen that jobs are not as secure anymore. Yeah. You know, so actually people are more willing. I know that when I started my business, one of the biggest things I remember my mom saying to me is, you know, you have to bet on you she was like, nobody else is going to do it. So you have to. And that's something that I've kept with me through my whole business. And, you know, when people come to me now, they say, I'm thinking about leaving my job to start a business. It's the first piece of advice I give them. Like, look, we're going to have to bet on you because nobody else is going to. So when it looks tough, you're going to have to be the one that stands there and says, yes, I can still do this. You know, and that I think is a big responsibility.
0: Absolutely. Now, one of the things I love about you is that you have, and we should say, actually, we should we should get this, get get the elephant in the room out of the way here. And it's not a horrible, scary elephant. It's a nice elephant. For you guys tuning in, listening to this, I've asked Jessica to come on because she will be gracing the stage at this year's Yupana Summit. Um, very, very excited to have you. And you were in the audience last year. You were actually an yeah. attendee last year. Curious to know, from an attendee's perspective, bit of a softball question this one but we'll throw it out there anyway how was the event for you i mean like very seriously how did you find the event itself
1: um i i became very very quickly obsessed with you um, and with telling people about Youpreneur after I'd been. Love it. Um, at the event, right? I, I tweeted, you know, a whole bunch. And I, at that time, did not even really have Twitter. So, you know, my 200 or something followers were getting a lot about Youpreneur in their feed that day. <laughs> okay, um, But I hadn't actually intended on going. So, you know, when I kind of ended up at Youpreneur, it was more of a... I'd kept seeing your ad repeatedly in the newsfeed and I would kept looking and I kept thinking, should I go? Shouldn't I go? I don't know anyone else who's going. That makes me nervous because, you know, if you don't know people, you start to um, feel a little bit uncomfortable. Who will I meet? Who will I sit next to? Will Mm -hmm. anyone like me? That kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And so I actually managed to drag one of my friends along. And I remember saying to her, look, you know, (laughs) I think we should go to this conference. I've already actually bought my ticket. Um, Would you like to share a room with me? And we managed to get one of the last rooms at the Premier Inn down the road. Um, And because it was one of the last rooms, we actually had to share a bed for the summit. So we we were snuggle buddies for the whole weekend. And I went... And the first day I was really nervous because you, you know, you were going to be there and you were kind of opening it up. And that was amazing. And then John Lee Dumas was the first keynote speaker.
0: Yes.
1: And I remember thinking, oh, God, I'm so excited to hear this keynote talk. But, you know, also when you get really scared because you think, what if it's not as good as I thought it was going to be?
0: And <laughs> I think <laughs> like that about John Lee Dumas all the time. No, I don't. I'm only joking. <laughs> He's actually one of my, he's one of my best buddies. I love him the bits. He's great.
1: <laughs> and this is the thing. So I kind of, I sat there and I, I got there um, to the venue early in the morning because I wanted to be on a table as close to the front as possible. I wanted to take as many notes as I could. And so I got to my seat and there's all this energy and John Lee Dumas walked on and his keynote talk was so impressive and it was so in depth. And he talked about his entire structure for how he'd built his podcast, how he built his revenue streams. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is going to be absolutely fantastic. And it, it just was. Yeah. You know, I sat for the whole weekend. I scribbled so many notes. I met um, some incredible people, including the poor Amy Schmittauer, who I met and accosted in the toilets um, because I was so overwhelmed by how great her talk was. And, you know, it was just fantastic um, presentations from amazing people that were actually valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they actually gave things that you wanted to go and implement in your business or mm-hmm. question whether they'd work for you. Or, you know, you've got to meet people who were masterminding with you and giving you genuinely helpful advice. And for me, it was just unbelievably powerful.
0: Well, the you know, big thing for me at all of my events has always been to provide like, ridiculous amounts of value like there's there's no pitching we don't pitch at my events and and the speakers know that um and you know they know that when they come they've got a they've just got to. basically just turn up and drop copious amounts of value bombs from great heights all over the audience. And they do that, you know, and I'm very, very blessed to know obviously some great people, um, yourself included now, to obviously invite them to come and do just that and blow people away. Um, You know, the the best compliment I can ever have from anyone that, that comes to any of our events is, you know, I just learned so much. I learned yeah. so much. I'm so pumped. You know, rather than the whole, oh, it was great. It was fantastic. Yeah, that's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But I want to hear, like, I learned so much. I've got so many notes. I've got, I'm have i going to take so much action. That's what it's all about. And now, you know, with you and I, we also, you know, uh, got to know each other a little bit more post-event. Um, and I reached out. You said, yes, I'd love to come and speak. in here you are. And you're going to, I mean, you're going to blow the stage up on what it takes to ultimately make more sales. So, yeah. I'm pumped you're coming, and I know everybody tuning in is going to be excited to come and see you and everybody else speak. If you guys are interested, make sure you head over to youpanersummit.com. There are tickets still available, but they are dwindling away day by day, so make sure you go ahead and, and check that out. Now, let's have a little bit, if we can, without without giving the whole farm away here, let's have a little bit of a sneak peek into what you're going to be going through. I mean, you're ultimately going to be teaching us how to make more sales, overall right that's your defining topic but what i really and and this is one of the reasons why you and i connected so so well is that you believe that people really do buy from other real people and the importance then of being yourself because of that relationship and as you well know i was harping on about it the whole weekend i've been going on about p2p or people to people since 2012 which was the first time i used it on stage in vegas it makes me feel very old when i say that um but like I mean you but you live and breathe this. Why is it so important to be yourself, particularly when it comes to sales?
1: For me, it's because and I say this with all respect to everybody listening, it's because people are inherently flawed. And that's what makes us so interesting. And when we pretend to be perfect or when we try to be perfect, what we do is we set an unrealistic expectation for ourselves because we can obviously never live up to it and therefore we become very self-critical. And also for other people because we create something that is unattainable for them to buy. And that makes it very hard for them to suspend any kind of disbelief. And when we're asking people to buy, what we're actually asking them to do is two things. We're asking them to believe in us and to believe that we can get them the results that we say that we can. And we're also, more importantly, asking them to believe in themselves and believe that they can do the work to get the results that they want. Mm. And that's actually harder. And it's much, much harder when it comes from somebody who looks like they're perfect and they have the perfect life and the perfect hair and the perfect kids and the perfect job because actually that person doesn't feel perfect. So when you when you turn up and you're a real human and you you know you make dad jokes
0: or you know <laughs> hang on are you, are you talking about some of my my antics on stage last year?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, but <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of thing, is it? When you make the odd dad joke, when you show up and actually you can explain, look. This week has been one of those weeks, and here are the learning lessons that I have. It's not about showing up and being falsely vulnerable. We've all seen those posts in Facebook groups, right, where it's like, oh, you know, two years ago, I was living in a van, and now right, I'm on the multimillionaire, right. and I've got 10 Lamborghinis. You know, that's not what we want. What we want is to show people that actually being human is, is a daily experience because when people buy from people, we buy from people who are interesting, we buy from people who are fun. We buy from people who have the same values as we do or the same principles as we do. We buy from people who are similar to us in terms of humor, in terms of integrity, in terms of you know, our self-belief and confidence. And we also buy into the transformation that we want. But the transformation is a really small part because everyone's selling very similar things. Mm. So to stand out, you have to be you and show people that they can trust the person you are To get them
0: what they want love it perfect okay see i told you guys she was good you need to come (laughs) you need to come see her in november good gosh okay so i think look at at the brunt of my sales training um and this is so good to talk with somebody with like a real hardcore sales background because i can get all geeky and start thinking back to all my uh objection handling training and all that good stuff i mean but but i think at the very core of being good at sales whether you identify with being a sales professional or just an entrepreneur a business owner because by the way if you're a business owner you're in sales there's no doubt about it right so i think at, at the very core it really comes down to like understanding your customers needs and and wanting to genuinely provide solutions to their problems which comes down to like the different types of buyer types how we should be conversing with them, how we should react to those different types of bias, So go through that a little bit from the school of Jessica. I'm curious.
1: Yeah. So I think it's, it's really interesting because people will often come to me and say, I've got a huge audience, but they just don't buy. Mm. And this is a really common problem. And most people will put it down to the fact that you're you're not a salesperson. Like you just said, you know, most people go, oh, I'm not salesy. And believe it or not, when you meet me in the street, I'm not a salesy person either. You know, I don't wear a sandwich board with all of my products listed on my back or anything. You know, I'm not going to push you into buying something if you don't need it. But every single person who has ever been a child or owned a pet Is a salesperson because children and pets are great at selling. And pets don't even, you know, they can't even speak. So they're just they're doing it with the eyes, okay? And if you've ever seen a dog that wants a treat, you know that you're being sold. So when we when we look at ourselves as business owners and when we look at ourselves as people with audiences who aren't buying, it can be really easy to go, oh well that's because I'm not a salesperson, it's because I'm not good at it. A lot of the time, though, it's because we've actually trained those people into not wanting to buy from us or not realizing that they can. And that's a really different prospect. So what we have to do is look at, have we trained our audiences to have something that I call baby bird syndrome, where you've shown up as the entrepreneur and you've kind of been the mama bird, right? All Mm -hmm. the babies are in the nest. They're waiting for the worms. And every day you drop in with a value post, drop in with a great live stream or an epic podcast episode but you never push them out of the nest okay so you're just giving them constant value you're putting them in this constant value loop which is great but it means that they don't learn to do anything else Mm. okay so Mm. we're not selling regularly is the first point our audiences don't learn that they can buy and also when we start saying to them hey go buy this thing they freak out and that's when we get crickets because suddenly you're asking them to do something that is really outside of their comfort zone and is really out of the realms of normalcy for them. Does that make sense?
0: Totally, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Okay, keep we going. Happen. Keep going. Um, this is great. Again, can we just can we just like pause for a minute? You guys, hmm. bet, you better, you guys better be taking notes here because this is the real deal. Like, you know, I don't have fluff on this show. You got, this is fundamentals 101, but so bloody important. Keep going, Jessica. You're great.
1: Well, this is the thing. So, you know, when we're looking at sales and problems, especially buyer problems, we're looking at the foundations because inherently sales is not difficult. And, you know, I know that people struggle with it. I know that you might be listening to us thinking, yeah, but it's all right for you. You've done a bunch of selling. Chris has done a bunch of selling. (laughs) I'm just, you know, average Joe kind of sat at home getting cold calls from people I really don't want to buy from. And we've all been there. But the thing is, if you've trained your audience to only want free content because that's safer for you, eventually in you know in the realms of having a profitable business you're going to have to sell to them and some of them are going to take it really well and some of them you're going to get your crickets they're going to leave your communities and that is fine too Mm -hmm. and the reason that's fine is because they never had any intention of purchasing okay if somebody leaves your community because you offered them a solution to their problem they didn't have any intention of buying and that's okay the second thing that we've got to look at when we're perhaps a nervous seller or somebody who's anticipating our audience isn't going to buy is, is this problem really their bleeding neck problem? And am I providing a real solution? Okay. Because so often what we see is that a lot of entrepreneurs create products or services based on them. So based on the thing that they want to solve right now, which means that sometimes we're all guilty of not going out and doing the the key market research we need to find out what our audience is actually struggling with right now. And if you're selling something that they don't need, they're not going to buy. It's not because they don't like you. It's not even because they don't like what you're selling. It's just because that's not their big problem right now. Mm. So if you want to know how to get a product that's instantly sellable, you need to be doing market research every single week and knowing exactly what your audience struggles with and when, because it will be cyclical. OK, so you will find that this happens year after year around the same times so yes. and with the same people, yes. you know, and then you predict income annually. And that makes life a lot easier. So that's your second thing is know your audience, know what they want to buy. And then your third thing is know the types of buyers that you have. Now, I am <laughs> I'm two types of buyers on this list, right? So the, the list of buyers is we have aspirational buyers, we have emotional buyers and we have FOMO buyers. So I'm aspirational and FOMO. Now, an aspirational seller is somebody who is living the life, or who has already achieved the transformation that the prospect wants. Mm. So in my case, the aspirational seller is somebody like Chris, who's kind of sat there chilling out in the Philippines, having a great time with his family. <laughs> you know, working hard, enjoying it, writing a few books. You know, wearing his jazzy waistcoats. That's the kind of thing that I want to do. Maybe bar the waistcoat wearing. Maybe I'll I'll jazz that up with you know a, a tie or something. You can I don't know.
0: bedazzle it. Bedazzle yeah, exactly. the waistcoat.
1: <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere else. Then
0: I was like, whoa. Ja- <laughs> Jazzy is not good enough. We need to bedazzle. Is what we need exactly. to do. Yeah. I've got
1: to have all of the gemstones. So I'm an aspirational buyer for some things. Um, when it came to setting up my online business, I was an aspirational buyer because all the Facebook ads were telling me that I could sit at home. I could have my laptop, I could write out a few things every day, and suddenly, you know, I'd be making my millions, drinking margaritas by the beach. Now, that's not entirely what happens. It's not exactly that quick, but the the premise was there, and I absolutely 100% bought into that. So if you're an aspirational buyer, you are somebody who looks at other people and says, yes, I would like to be like them, or I would like to have what they have. And that's cool. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a great person. It also makes you a really savvy buyer because you're somebody who buys with loyalty. You do your due diligence. You check people out because you want to see, have they really done it? Or is it just something they say that they're doing? Okay, so it does make you a savvy buyer to be an aspirational buyer. And your audience, if they are aspirational buyers, you need to show up as an aspirational seller. Right, You can't hide mm. behind the old bushel of, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll talk about it, but it will be boastful or anything like that. You have to show up and show them what they would like to see. You know, show them the journey, show them what it looks like on the other side, show them what it looks like once the pain is gone.
0: I love and that. We- and I, I, I love that a lot because I'm always going on with my coaching clients about showing the journey, like really taking well, people on the journey, because it's massive. They want to go on the journey with you.
1: Yeah, of course, because otherwise, what's the point? You become very 2D. And, and again, this is where people buy from people, right? If you're a 2D person and everything in your life is great or everything in your life is awful, there's no, there's no kind of gray area. There's nowhere that people can link to you and say, "Yeah, sometimes I feel like that. Mm. And that makes it really difficult. You know, so we, we have these aspirational buyers and the majority of the online entrepreneur space, aspirational buyers. Okay. So if you're ever getting stuck, just think, how can I show up in a way that shows my audience how they can transform too? how can I show them that it's possible in my life? And you will find it a lot easier. The second type of buyer we have is probably my least favorite. Um, and it's, it's not my least favorite because they're terrible, terrible purchases, it's my least favorite form of selling and it's the emotional sell. Okay, so going back to earlier, it's generally used very, very badly. So when people are using it without integrity, it is the, here's my source of trauma and here's me pimping my pain for profit off the back of it. Yep. So any major life event that happens to be particularly horrific, plus PS, if you don't want this to happen to you, Go buy my thing. Yep. Um, and it to me it just is is very out of integrity. And I prefer the the kind of more, I guess, dull but actually straightforward side of emotional selling, which is teach your audience based on what you've learned. So yes, go through the trauma. Yes, absolutely, you know, be open and be honest about what you might have experienced, but share the learning lessons rather than the pain itself and sell from the learnings. So, for example, if you went through a really rough patch in your business where you didn't make any money for three months and actually you were living off pot noodles, you wouldn't be writing posts about, oh, goodness, you know my life's horrific. I've only been able to eat chicken and mushroom for a week and that's really terrible. Instead, you'd be writing posts about, okay, actually, I went through this really tough part in my business where I wasn't making money. The things I learned from it were that actually my expenses were too high. I was spending out way more than I was earning or that actually I wasn't selling enough because my business wasn't generating enough profit. Perhaps I'd hired a team too early and that meant that, you know, again, expenses were going up, jobs were getting done behind the scenes, but the core, you know, client generation wasn't happening. There were lots and lots of different things. And then off of the back, you can sell. You sell the learning outcomes, OK, if you don't want this to happen to you, then you need to make sure that you have a PML in your business. You need mm. to make sure that you're lacking your expenses or your metrics. Do you see what I mean? So it's about looking for the learning outcomes and the overcoming of the obstacles rather than focusing directly on the traumatic event that's currently occurring. Yep,
0: yeah, agree 100%. I, I'm not a fan of emotional selling. I never have been like you. I yeah. never will be. I, I'd much rather prefer… The more either the more strategic approach or I mean the aspirational is obviously what we're all about within the Uprener ecosystem. I mean we're building businesses based around what we are and what we do and how we do it for the people we do it for. And therefore, obviously, as you very clearly pointed out, online this is the number one kind of buyer persona. Um I'm curious to know. I mean, like I know a lot I know a lot of people that who have courses who have sold well on launches, right? This is always the other big thing. It's like, do you launch once, twice, three times a year, four times a year, maybe once a quarter, whatever? Or do you keep the doors wide open at all times? I mean, how do we get to the point in our sales campaigns, whether they be on the phone or in person or via email or any other format, how do we get to the point of like never getting another no ever again. Like I mean, like, you know, I mean, I'm not asking for too much here, Jess, right? I mean, I, I think, you know, like this is our thing and the, and we love what we do and we've created this thing, whatever it might be. We want to get it into the hands of as many people as possible. What do we need to do when it comes to the actual sales process itself to make sure that our no's are absolutely minimized or completely exterminated?
1: A hundred percent. So you've got to actually have a process in place. Okay. So step one is about pre-qualification. And this is something you can do, whether it's discovery calls, whether it's uh, selling, you know, through an email marketing campaign on your website, it doesn't matter. Hmm. You've got to make sure that the right people are seeing it and you've got to pre-qualify and be, make it easy for them to self-identify. Am I the right person to be purchasing? So that's very, very easily done in a pre-qualification questionnaire or even on a sales page, a simple, this is for you if, insert criteria, love that. this is not for you.
0: Yes, if. yes. And I've seen That's- that. I've seen that getting more and more popular on sales pages. Yes. They've got kind of got two columns. This is perfect yeah. for you if you're in this boat. It's not what you need if you're on this one. And that, I mean, that in itself, if somebody continues after that point, right, you kind of know you've yeah. got them to a certain degree.
1: Exactly. People love to be able to <clears> self-identify anything you can do to make it easier. Is, is going to be much, much more helpful in terms of never getting a no. You know, the other thing that we have to do when we're looking at not getting no's is we have to do a discovery phase. Okay, so I call it market research. Other people call it discovery. It's very, very legal if you start calling it a discovery <laughs> phase mm-hmm. um, because it's basically how much information can you find out about your audience? What do you need to know? in order to help them make the decision. So, you know, doing your market research pre-selling, understanding what are the key words that your audiences use to describe themselves when they're in pain? What are the key transformations that they're actually looking for? What are the things that stand out for them as being their potential obstacles? And these, again, they're things that you can use on discovery calls, they're things that you can find out on discovery calls, or they're things that you can write down on sales pages hey, if you feel like this, then don't worry, this is for you. And this is how we're going to make it better. Yeah, so it's about making sure you've got all of the information. Then we need to look at objections. I love objections. Um, For me, a no is never a no. It's a not right now. You know, maybe the offer wasn't right. Maybe the price wasn't right. Maybe the timing wasn't right. But if you handle the objection in the right way, Mm -hmm. it's a this is a no right now. Not a, this is a no forever because you're a terrible person and just tried to sledgehammer my objection home. You know. So when you're thinking about handling objections, objections are easier to handle on the phone, obviously, because you can manage that person's expectations. You can find out whether what they have is a real objection or something that is just going on in their head that perhaps needs more clarification or reassurance. But generally, when it comes to objections, you need to be able to empathize
0: mm-hmm. with the person.
1: Okay, I hear you, your objection is valid because whatever they're feeling is valid. Doesn't matter whether you think it's rational or not, it's still valid. The second thing you need to do is find out whether it's a real objection. Hey, I've been really transparent with you on the sales page about what you're gonna get, but just wanna check in with you here that really your objection is the money or the time commitment, whatever it might be, and that there's nothing else that you have a question about that I'm not answering that would stop you make the, making this decision today? And you can have little question boxes on your sales page. You can have email addresses. On a discovery call, you can just ask that question openly. You know, find out, does the person just need more reassurance or is the objection something that's valid? And well, then you need...
0: To, oh, well, I was going to no, say, it was. I mean, like I think overall, this, this goes back to one of my first ever mentors. His name was Graham Bond, and he was amazing. No relation to James, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but he he was great. And I remember him explicitly saying to me very, very on, early on in us working with each other, he said, "You know what, Chris? Objections are your friends. They help yes. you get to the conclusion of the sales process, i.e., the close in a good, solid way. When you when you overcome several objections." um their clothes will be so much stronger and he was 100 percent right and i think people have got the wrong like you i believe people have got the wrong mentality when it comes to objections you should embrace them you should yeah. welcome them you know what i mean
1: absolutely you know the thing is with objections and again this is where people buy from people right how many times have you sat there and thought i want to buy that but there's always a but mm. you know and it just sometimes we just need somebody else to help us work through the process an objection is not something that should be taken personally it's just something that your mind naturally goes towards because your mind ultimately is just trying to keep you safe so it, it's normal that people would think mm, perhaps not but this if that you know that those are normal thought processes you know to overcome them you've got to be reassuring you've got to empathize with the person's problem and then you've got to have a solid follow-up sequence you've got to know what do you want from this if this person has an objection that's super simple like i need to talk to my spouse or actually i need to find the funds or whatever you know it's okay to put a follow-up process in place it says okay cool so can we catch up on tuesday at this time and then we'll have a 15 minute decision making call and you're just going to let me know where you are and how we're going to move forward whether it's a yes or a no And you give the person that position of power and let them own the fact and take responsibility for making the decision themselves at a clear time and day. Mm. You know, you give them the space to do that. Or you aim for a yes or a no on the call. And, you know, personally, I'm a big fan of people don't walk away from my calls as maybes. They're either a yes or a no. 100%. Either way, it's fine. Right? Either way, it's fine. There's no judgment. But if you walk away and you're a maybe I didn't do my job Mm. because either you want to work with me or you don't. And that's, you know, that, that is what it is. So when you're overcoming these objections, once you've empathized with somebody, once you have found out whether it's a real objection, that's when you need to help them make the decision. And that's what you do when you're overcoming the objection. It's not about you providing a ton of things to try and, and make them or try and convince them to do something. It's about saying to that person, okay, I hear all of these things. I completely understand. We've talked about potential solutions. Are you ready to make a decision on how you want to move forward? And it's about them. You know, it's about whether they want to make the decision or not. It's not about you. It's not personal. And once you start detaching from that, actually the objection becomes much easier to see from their perspective and you're handling it as a real human rather than somebody that just
0: wants the cash in the bank yes agreed oh such good stuff if you guys are not convinced (laughs) why you need to come (laughs) to london in november i don't know to give us some passing words of wisdom here as we wrap up jess i mean i think i think honestly people put way way too much emphasis on quote unquote the close when it comes to selling i don't know whether you agree with (laughs) me or not on that um But I think people just, I mean, you know, all these books, you know, 26 closing techniques that really work and all this sort of other books that are out there on the market. I mean, I'm just a big believer that if you do everything in the sales process up to that point in the right way for the right reasons, then the close itself ultimately happens by itself. But I'm curious to know what you think about when it comes to actually closing the sale. What's your kind of mindset?
1: Yeah, I would agree with you you know the at the end of the day the conversation or the sales page is the very last point of contact that somebody has with you before they give you their money or before they don't so actually it's the bit that matters least in my opinion If you go through a sales process, if you pre-qualify people correctly, if you show up as yourself um, as somebody who is authentic, who has integrity, who they can trust to get the results, and you demonstrate that consistently with value, with selling regularly, with holding the space for people to make sure that they believe in you and that they believe in themselves, actually those sales calls, those sales pages are just formalities. You know, they're, they're just the way that people get to show up and say, yeah, actually, you're, you're who you are in real life as you are online. And that's that's good for me. Thanks very much. And that's it. That's as simple as it gets. I
0: love it. Perfect. Great. Great, great, great advice for anyone really wanted to sort of double down on their efforts from a sales perspective. Jess, thanks for coming on and sharing some wisdom. I cannot wait to be with you in London uh, later on in in November, but it's going to be a great weekend. But I mean, you know, regardless of all of that, clearly you're a pro at what you do. um, And I just, yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic way for me to be able to highlight you and your expertise even more to the community. So thanks again.
1: No, thank you. I'm so excited to see everything in London. So if you are coming to Euclid, which I'm hoping all of you are, please make sure you come up and uh, give me a hug or a a small pat on the back. I'm I'm pretty small. I've got bright red hair, so you won't be able to miss me. And I will happily tell you all about John Lee Dumas's keynote from last year um, and point (laughs) you in the right direction for some amazing, amazing bits uh, that I learned last year from Chris's book and all that kind of stuff too.
0: Love it. Awesome. And obviously, if the shortness and the red hair doesn't work, you'll be wearing a bedazzled waistcoat, won't you? So, I mean, that's the other way to spot you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> if you wanted to, if you want to spend a little bit more time with Jessica getting to know her before you meet her in November, you can do by visiting jessicalorimer.com. Show notes, links, and everything over at youpner.com forward slash 305. I will be back at you again, as always, this time next week. Until then, take good care. Bye for now. So I've got a quick question for you. What are you doing November 3rd through to the 5th later this year? Nothing? Good, because we'd love to host you at the annual Youpreneur Summit Conference taking place in London over that very weekend. You're going to get the chance to learn from the best expert speakers in the world. Network with them up close. Meet and get to know hundreds of other Youpreneurs as well as devise a plan of attack to grow your business faster than ever before all over the course of just one weekend. For more info and secure your place just visit youpreneursummit.com and tickets are limited so don't hang around do it today that's youpreneursummit.com I'll see you there.